0: So this break is break up, that's...
1: Come on, Jerry. You know this isn't easy for me. On the surface, everything looks fine. I've got this great guy. And he loves my kid. And he
0: sure does like me a lot. And I can't live like that. It's not how I'm built. Welcome to part two of our Jerry Maguire episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect in their exclusive patron feed. We also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So, as usual, we're going to start with the ground floor. First tier, $1. You just contribute $1 to our patron, the Travolti tier. You get access to all the cutting room floor segments, stuff that doesn't make it to the episode. Uh, we're running long on this one, as expected. And uh, honestly, Alex, we're doing really well, considering that half of the recording hasn't just been me quoting Jerry Maguire. But still, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of stuff that's just not going to make it to the final cut. Well, it will make it to the Patreon feed, along with our bonus episodes. Uh, This month, it's December, so we have two of them. We have our Christmas bonus episode, which is going to be on the Black Christmas remake from 2006, following up on last year's Christmas episode, which was the original Black Christmas. No promises on whether... Next year, we'll bring yet another Black Christmas remake review, but that, that'll be up to Alex. I, I think we're done. Never say never, Alex. That's true. I mean, there could be a patron that just decides to make us watch the 2019 or whatever it is. Uh, we
1: had to watch fucking Live Free or Die Hard again. So, you know.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's a, the in quotations marks problem with having patrons is that they, they have power over us, such as. Jamie Russell, who is the man behind our second bonus episode for December, which is on the movie Harold and Maud. and this is not—I'm not gonna compare it to a Good Day to Die Hard or even another Black Christmas remake because this, this is a classic, and this is a movie that I've been—I I know that I should have watched already, and I'm glad that we're much like Nosferatu last month. Like I'm glad that we're having a chance to to kind of take care of this blind spot. They'll also be on the Patreon feed, available to everyone. Uh, The chat is also available to anybody that's a patron, regardless of the tier. Uh, There's been some activity there. People have opinions about Killers of the Flower Moon and different levels of excitement for it and for our conversation about it. So uh, join, join so you can talk to us somewhere other than Twitter.
1: Not just us, but other patrons, like-minded folk like yourself.
0: Yes, just, just find your community. Just, it's all contrarians all the time there. Uh, now, if you want more content, uh, that's what the other tiers are for. So you can go up a tier to the Winonis, the $3 tier. That gives you access to our pre-recording notes, give you access to our quick video reviews. Not so quick, really. Uh, this month we're doing our final dual QVR, uh, for this season. Movie Ravenous, which stars Robert Carlisle. Uh, that's pretty much what I know about it, Alex but that's demanded by patron John Amenta. I mean, I'm always glad whenever John participates. At the same time, I have to remember that John made us watch Invasion USA a few months ago. (laughs) So, we'll see what happens. (laughs) This could go either way. Uh, And then, of course, you also have access to contrarians after hours. that's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching that we're reading that we're playing listening to. Alex, what are you bringing to contrarians after hours this time?
1: Another recent release, Julio. Uh What's happening? I didn't leave my house for this. <laughs> I know, right? Dude, when it's all said and done, I might have seen 10 movies this year, you know, <laughs> that came out this year cuz I watched this and then Iron Claw next week, baby. And that, that'll that definitely be a massive point of discussion after I, I watch that. Uh, no, but this one I didn't leave the house for. A uh, recent Netflix release titled May December starring Natalie Portman and uh, I guess a subject of contrarian's legend for better or for worse, Julianne Moore. I can't believe that named- we,
0: we haven't done Freedom Land on the show yet.
1: <laughs> and then uh, someone named Charles Melton, which God bless. Uh, this is in reading some people's reviews of this. I sometimes forget like how pop culture and like, you know, period time happening obsessed. I can be, I was surprised to find how many people were unaware of Mary Kay Letourneau because I just kind of remember that happening and how big of a fucking deal it was. And like the, the terror of, um, local, Mothers and fathers having to explain the situation to their kids because I'm trying to remember when that whole thing happened and how old I would have been. Um, But it would have been young enough to be like, oh, uh," we got to tell the kids because this is like everywhere on the news. Anyway, it's loosely based on that. Do you know who I'm talking about, Mary Kay Letourneau?
0: No, but it sounds like something that happened before I moved to the States.
1: This is true. It did. Mary Kay Letourneau was a teacher who had an affair with her student who was like 13 and then went to prison and they got married when she got out. It had been a while since someone had done like a version of that story. And this movie is, uh, directed by Todd Haynes, who I know I've talked about on After Hours before, and I'm probably sure I've mentioned him somewhere along the way in Contrarian's history because he directed to me one of the most punk rock movies ever made, uh, Superstar, The Karen Carpenter Story from 1987. Uh, But this is his most recent directorial offering written by Sammy Birch, who I'm not familiar with. Had under a two-hour runtime, so I was like, fuck it. We're going to fire this up on Netflix. If nothing else, it'll give me something to talk about in After Hours. So that is what I'm going to be discussing. Julio, what are you bringing to the table?
0: On my end, Alex, I I figured might as well finish my Jim Cummings journey. I've seen two of your three movies. I was like, let's let's just close down that loop. So the beta test uh, is finally down in the books. That's it. Now I just sit back and wait for Jim Cummings to make another movie, I guess. Uh, So I'll tell you about the beta test. For those of you following the story, we both really liked Thunder Road when we covered it uh, on the Patreon channel last year. And then a couple of after hours oh, yeah. ago, I, I talked about The Wolf of Snowy Hollow, uh, which was not <laughs> as successful for me. So now I'm not going to tell you how I feel the, about beta test until we get there. But that's that's the tease. Find out. Did uh, Jim Cummings strike out or did Jim Cummings hit another home run? You'll find out this after hours, along with my thoughts on an old TV show that I uh, our friend ryan from yum yum pod ryan and rachel you know they cover sci-fi stuff and and every now and then ryan will just hit me with like hey you should watch this and so after him insisting i should watch space above and beyond uh, which is available on youtube for free i was like sure it's just a one season show and uh you know the benefit Whenever I do something like this is that I can watch the show and then listen to Ryan and Rachel talk about it. So I watched the entire season of Space Above and Beyond and uh, I will talk to you about it. I mean, it's not like uh, when I watch Babylon 5, which was, you know, five years of show. This is just... I mean, it's an old season, so it's like 20-something episodes, but that's it, you know, that <laughs> the the show didn't get renewed, and thankfully they got to some sort of ending, but I'll tell you about it. It's very different from the beta test, I can tell you that much right now. So, Space Above and Beyond, the beta test, and then May, December, the movie that might have finally changed Alex's mind about Julianne Moore. We'll find out. <laughs> that's your after hours. And then, if you want to be part of the, the elite group of patrons that gets to tell us what to watch, then that's what the other two tiers are for. You can get the $5 tier, the Embreeze, or the $10 tier, the GATS, and just just see what that offers. Go to patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. See how you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements.
1: $1, $3, $5, and $10 are respective tiers, as Julio just ran down there. Head on over. Throw a buck our way. I will open up on the ground floor and give you access to take a a full tour, I guess you would say, and see what we have there, be it our Roxena epic journey that we went through detailing their professional wrestling rivalry and their respective movie careers. Uh, our Lindsay Lohan life and times retrospective and the upcoming projects that we've set our goals at 30, 40 and 50 patrons, no matter what the level. So $1, uh, will get you access. Like I said, and we'll add to that overall number, uh, to unlock, I guess you would say, some of our uh, desired projects. So to all of our current patrons, we love you all dearly. And as I like to say, we are taking applications that will be promptly reviewed and accepted for any and all new ones. So patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Check it out.
0: Now, Alex, I wish I knew I should have written a Dickie Fox quote to take us into real talk, (laughs) but I didn't. I know there's one where he starts with roll with the punches. Tomorrow is a new day or something. So let's go with that. Let's roll with the punches and roll into real talk.
1: You know, I don't think we need to do the thing where we tell each other everything. All right. Jerry Maguire was released on December 13th of 1996. How about that, Julio? Recording this on the day it was released. Uh, What is that? 27 years ago? Hey. Contrarians clairvoyance, as we call it. (laughs) Directed and written by Cameron Crowe, The Crowbar, based on Lee Steinberg, who is a former sports agent. The former vice president of the Green Bay Packers, Andrew Brandt, said the film accurately portrayed the cutthroat nature of the agent business, especially the lengths to which agents will go to retain or pilfer clients. It also captures the financial, emotional and psychological investment that goes far beyond negotiating contracts.
0: Does the average sports agent have to choose between Kelly Preston and Renee Zellweger? Or was that movie magic?
1: It's a tough life, I tell you what. Yeah. At the 69th, nice, Academy Awards, <laughs> nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. The only one from that lineup to win was in the Best Supporting Actor category. Cuba Gooding Jr., of course. If you're wondering who he beat out and who the others lost to, be sure to check out our YouTube warm-up uh, video for this episode. We'll go more into the Academy Awards of that year.
0: Either Alex or I will recreate Cuba's acceptance speech.
1: I was about to say one of the more famous ones, one of the more genuine and infectious ones. I I think it's a it's a it's a memorable one, definitely in a good way. Uh, sadly, that was the end for Cooper Gooding Jr.
0: <laughs> Actually, he did have a mini resurgence. Yeah, when uh, he played
1: OJ in mm-hmm. the People versus OJ Simpson. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. not quite Rotten Tidwell levels, but he reminded people <laughs> he was still around.
1: 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, I was astonished. And I know these things. I've seen this movie before. I really enjoy this movie. I, you know, it's Cameron Crowe with this and almost famous back to back. That's one of the most impressive one two combos I think a, American filmmakers ever had. But I was still just shocked at how many things in this movie are just regular parts of pop culture vocabulary. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not just, we're going to need a bigger boat. It's, <laughs> There's five we're going to need a bigger boat in this movie. (laughs) Interestingly enough, and I think this will segue into the quotes that uh, you've pulled, the green splotches. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film three out of four stars, writing that, and this is something you called out in the first half, there are so many subplots that Jerry Maguire seems too full. He also commented that the film starts out looking cynical and quickly becomes heartwarming. I think that's an interesting jumping off point from our boy Raj. Julio, what other quotes did you pull for a uh, real talk?
0: All right. I got a few you know, I didn't see Ebert listed on the on the app, but sometimes they skip some reviews, so probably for the best. You know, we don't want to spotlight Ebert every episode. We could. <laughs> But, Easily. But, you know, we got to spread the wealth. We got to we gotta call out people like Joe Morgenstern from The Wall Street Journal, who says, It's hard to believe that this frantic, self-congratulatory affair was written and directed by Mr. Crow, the man who did Say Anything and Singles, two films notable for their modesty and tact. Uh, have you seen Say Anything and Singles, Alex? I don't remember.
1: I've seen Say Anything. I haven't seen Singles.
0: Uh, I've seen Singles once. And I was thoroughly underwhelmed. <laughs> that movie, I mean, gets a lot of love. And I don't know. I just, I mean, I would have to watch it again to really know for sure. But I just felt like it was, it was hype too much for me. Um, I get what this guy's saying. This is Cameron Crowe's first big Hollywood movie. And uh, yeah, I mean, he had John Cusack in Say Anything. But that was before John Cusack was John Cusack. And even John Cusack at the level that he was, uh, his most popular, he was never Tom Cruise, right? And then uh, Singles has what? Matt Dillon and Campbell Scott? I mean, Bridget Fonda? I mean, th- th- these are known actors, but again, they're not mega stars like Tom Cruise. But but that's not a bad thing. I mean, I, I was, uh, this guy's mad that, that Cameron Crowe didn't stick around making small-time indies? I mean, come on.
1: He abandoned his craft, man. Yeah, you're, you're right. Like Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise has become Tom Cruise more since then, but he was already at this point. Tom Cruise. Yeah. He was already Ethan Hunt. He was that same year.
0: <laughs> Talk about one, two punches. <laughs> Next. Paul Tatara from CNN.com says, Cruz is very good in small moments with Dorothy's son, played charmingly by Jonathan Lipnicki. But in some of the bigger scenes, his performance is so wrongheaded, you can't imagine what he was thinking. I think he was thinking, I want an Oscar, damn it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: that's going to be rough if you don't like how Tom Cruise is playing Jerry Maguire, because. He's playing him very strongly. <laughs> so if you don't like some of those choices, you're stuck with those choices for 2 hours and 20 minutes. Jerry is in almost every scene, and it's, it's a big performance. Sorry, Paul. Uh, Chris Hicks from Deseret News Salt Lake City says, It talks the talk, but doesn't walk the walk. Or in other words, it simply doesn't have heart. You think so, Alex? Do you think this movie is as cynical as the world that Tom Cruise is denouncing at the end? No,
1: I think Cameron Crowe and even something just like the lighting of this movie, I think goes to show that Cameron Crowe likes to make movies that are happy Mm -hmm. and show like the good in people. Like a great example is almost famous. The ending of that. Yeah. No, neither of Russell nor um, William end up with Penny, but everything happens right. And it does provide a happy ending for all those involved. And that's Cameron Crowe when he's at his best can take elements that, you know, shine a light on real world aspects, but still make them a movie. And, you know, big kiss to send us off in the end or big musical number to send us off. So it's, you know, he's not a guy like Scorsese that has a litany of films. So it's, you know, a very limited pool you're pulling from, but you watch something like Jerry Maguire or in my case, specifically almost famous. And you uh, Cameron Crowe is aware of the world he is making movies for, I guess would be the way I would say that while wanting to make movies. Yeah. Like the lighting on that scene where they get home on the porch is like that's like straight out of like a fucking 1950s or 60s like right. romance, you know?
0: Yep. It's it's weird it because I get it that it's not a little bit of we were joking about in contrast corner, or at least I was joking about it. Uh that it can feel a little manufactured, right? It's like every so many scenes just feel like designed for the trailer or designed to just be water cooler talk. Back when there were water coolers and talks around them. But I don't think that that means that they don't have heart. I think that it's just, if anything, Crow's style of filmmaking, at least in this movie and in others, it it, it kind of harkens back to when, well, we were okay with movies being a little artificial for the sake of making us feel good. That's that's how, you know, the, Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, you can take, you can be really cynical about Jerry Maguire, you, I mean, member of the audience, and say like, oh, well, I'm not going to fall for it because it's it's Tom Cruise and it's, I don't buy him as a regular guy and this is just a movie trying to manipulate me and, I mean, a little bit of what we were doing in the previous segment. But, but in the end, I think that, <laughs> say what you will, it just feels silly to accuse Cameron Crowe of not putting heart in his movies when i've seen his worst movie and even then like aloha still has heart like i i feel like he he pours his soul out into these these projects that 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 he embarks on so i i completely disagree with this dude (laughs) chris hicks i don't know i don't know what side of bed did you wake up on that day but i disagree uh, we're going to close with Rick Grone from Globe and Mail who says there's much to admire in Jerry Maguire except Jerry Maguire. So I'm guessing someone else that's not a fan of Cruz's performance or maybe just the character. Uh, there was another quote that I didn't pull that was mentioned something about how they didn't buy Jerry Maguire's redemption. I don't even know that he. there was a whole lot that needed to be redeemed on him. I mean, he's a workaholic, but okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then even still, like, who knows what happens with Jerry and Dorothy, but the way the movie is is she gives him a second chance and we see that he's going to try. That's kind of the, yeah, we don't see him work his way back or what he does with this new opportunity, but that's the fucking point. That's when you peak is like when you take him back and everything's happy and whatnot. So <laughs> you're you're there for the wrong movie. What
0: did they want? How, how did this guy want it, Jerry to uh, to, I guess, atone for his sins? Yeah, he falls to his knees and cries. You know, it's funny because they're uh, that last scene, they're leaving the zoo, right? Like they're asking Ray how he enjoyed the zoo. Do you think they're leaving Matt Damon's zoo from Cameron Crowe's future movie, (laughs) We Bought a Zoo? Uh, (laughs) Boom! The (laughs) Crowvers. Let's
1: go right now. Let's go to the zoo.
0: Ray, the zoo, you know. Fucking zoo is closed, right? (laughs) All right. Uh, This movie is... I, I have a lot of history with this movie. And my first... The first thing I want to say is something I put out there on Twitter. And that is that I am shocked at the fact that René Zellweger didn't get an Oscar nomination. Because... It's all there. <laughs> you know, like if the movie had been shut out of the Oscars, I would get it. And like, oh well, you know, it's just not one of those things. But it was nominated for Best Picture and both Cruz and Kuvakun Jr. got nominations. So it was just like they just had to push just like a little like it was like an extra mile. And then they would get her for for best leading actress and then fuck it go all the way and give Regina King Best Supporting Actress. What happened? Are we saving all the Oscar stock for the video? Or can we, like, complain about this specific instance?
1: Oh, no, we can. Yeah, I was just going to say we'd run down the nominees and whatnot. But, like, uh, Best Leading Actress, Frances McDormand, Fargo. Obviously, very good. This, of course, was the year the English patient ran amok. Uh, but to your point, Julio, coming into this, before I researched it today, I just assumed... She was nominated for an Oscar for this. Me too. I, I, I knew that Cuba was the only one who won for it, but I assume that she had a nomination for this, uh, which has her only nomination been for um, what was that movie she did? Judy? No, she has two wins, Alex, because she won for Cold Mountain. Chicago?
0: Oh, okay. three
1: nominations then. Okay, She won for Cold
0: Mountain, then got nominated for Chicago, and then won again for Judy.
1: My god, she has four nominations. She got nominated for Bridget Jones Diary.
0: <laughs> Renee Zellweger is doing fine with a Jerry Maguire nomination, That's clearly.
1: <laughs> slow News Day.
0: <laughs> Still, god damn it. I it feels weird to just start real talk with me just fawning over her performance because it is you know, it's Tom Cruises movie, but Still, that was my my big takeaway this time. My big takeaway watching it now was like, it's not just that she's as good as they are and they got a nomination. It's just that she is so great. Like I I was, um, I guess I've always known that she was good in the role, and to me, this was the movie that introduced me to Renée Zellweger. Like I hadn't seen *In Pie Records* before I watched this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, an interesting conundrum. Is not the right word, but like it's an interesting place for her because empire records, I'm trying to think of anything else that like was really to speak of where she had like a real role. She's in reality bites, um, the return of the Texas chainsaw massacre. Honestly, you know, she did had about, you know, a dozen movies before this, but legit empire records was the only other one where she had like a showcase role really. So this is without question, like her coming out party and, on top of that she just hits it out of the park you're right it seems to have all the parts that they look for uh, they being the Academy it seems to have all the ingredients of what they celebrate and yet it wasn't enough
0: like you need to prove yourself kid I guess so but Cuba your arms you just got it
1: <laughs> your, your arms aren't long enough to box with Diane Keaton and Kristen Scott Thomas baby
0: <laughs> I like them both uh, I haven't seen the English Patient since it came out, but I, I can tell you already that that spot would have been more like Renée Zalweger served that spot more than Kristen Scott Thomas. Who, that's so weird. Kristen Scott Thomas was also Mission Impossible,
1: so there's a she cruise was addiction. also in Only God Forgives. So anything good she did was eradicated. <laughs> so by karma that. is a bitch. That's what you're saying. Karma <laughs> is a bitch. Oh, uh, Jerry Maguire, joked about it earlier. Just a monolith, a fucking white burning supernova of pop culture material this movie is. But when you look past that, I don't think it's as good as Almost Famous. But there is something so special to this (laughs) two movie run that Cameron Crowe went on of him. Well, it also depends on how you feel about Vanilla Sky. Personally, I think it's okay. If we're talking Cameron Crowe movies, at this point in my life, I'll watch Elizabeth Town again before I watch Vanilla Sky. But um,
0: hmm. I think I agree.
1: <laughs> Ooh, saucy! I,
0: I, I like Vanilla Sky probably more than the average person, uh, but I think Vanilla Sky falters for me whenever it falls. It just it just doesn't feel very Cameron Crowe, which is
1: at all right and that's for all for all the shortcomings elizabeth town has that was the whole discussion we had it's like it feels like a cameron crowe movie but it feels like he just kind of lost sight of what he was doing a little bit somewhere along the way i did joke about it and it's like oh fuck elizabeth town is a lot like jerry Maguire. you know he tries to he takes a risk with his career and it Ends up costing him his job, and <laughs> he's he loses his girlfriend, his way-hot girlfriend, his super-hot girlfriend, in this case, Jessica Biel. He meets a quirky girl. He does. A little bit quirkier in uh, 2004 or three, <laughs> whenever that came out. But So back to my original point, like, it, don't get me wrong, this is white people shit through and through.
0: What are you talking about? Rotten will is black. Uh,
1: okay, well, that's, that's fair. <laughs> and Cuba and Regina King are both fantastic in this, but... I guess you're right. This is a bit of a more diverse movie than almost famous, but Cameron Crowe in two extraordinary examples was able to make near perfect movies for what he was trying to make. Some of the dialogue in this kind of loses me. It can get kind of goofy, but man, what just an unbelievable film to make for an audience in 1996. (laughs) You have the sports influence. You have Tom Cruise. You have this pretty... Uh, young new actress in here that absolutely steals the show. You have this little just absolutely painfully adorable kid who he deserves some credit for his work with this because at no point does the kid get annoying or overstay his welcome or seem like out of place. Which is the insane one scene,
0: that it doesn't happen. Yes. I couldn't believe it.
1: I know. that was. I couldn't wait to talk to you about Jonathan Lipnicki because we all know Julio's <laughs> Uh, long-standing <laughs> rivalry with child actors. Even the one scene where, like, you know, the, he's serious, where he thinks they're leaving, and he tells him just go ahead and go. Yeah, it works. <laughs> it's tremendous. Listen, you're gonna like it, San Diego, Ray.
0: Ray, it's gonna be great there because uh, you make a lot of friends. I'm gonna see you this weekend. You know? Go ahead and go. Go ahead and go. That kid, that has to be... I mean, I don't know why, but I just read it as... That was direction, and he was really good at taking direction, right? Like, it's it's very... His performance is just very... Uh, it reads to me like Crow told him, All right, in this one, you're sad. And he just plays it sad. And then in this one, you just you just say this and then you run away. and this one, you're just swinging from their arms. It's just, you know, very like step-by-step, step, like single servings of uh, of direction. And then he takes that and then, okay, next shot. And that's how it feels to me, which is fine because it works for the movie. Like, I don't think when I watch him, it's not like uh, when we did uh, Paper Moon over on Patreon and I was in awe of Tatum O'Neill's performance where I was like, oh, I'm watching an actress <laughs> you know a little a tiny actress that that has like a good grasp of the material i mean obviously this kid was probably a little younger but i'm watching him and i don't get the sense that he really knows what's going on around him <laughs> in the big scheme of things you know what i mean yeah like i feel like kevin Crow told him all right well here you're sad because you like tom cruise and he's you're not gonna see him again But he's not aware of like what's happening. And that's fine because all that matters is that it works for the movie and it does. You're right. He never gets annoying and he should be, (laughs) but he doesn't.
1: Yeah. It had been at least 10 years since I watched this and I was kind of blown away all over again, uh, specifically by Jonathan Lipnicki and how the most was gotten out of that performance. What I would to finish my point I was saying earlier I don't necessarily think this is a perfect movie, but this is a perfect movie for what he wanted to make, if that makes any sense at all. And that's the Cameron Crowe thing of what we mentioned earlier, like the love and the lighting and the, the relationships developing and the, the show me the money and just like the absolute absurdity of some of these sequences, but mixed in with the soundtrack that only really he could nail the way he did. And that goes back. That's one of the things about say anything that people still celebrate and even Elizabethtown, we talk about his taste and understanding of how to map out a movie using music is very impressive and uh, honestly unrivaled to the ability to make a movie like Jerry Maguire or an almost famous. I I think some of the scenes linger too long. I mentioned some of the dialogues a bit silly for me, but Everyone is good in this movie. And when you have a cast this big and the people involved, like with the ranging abilities of acting and also just like, if you compare like resumes amongst all these, like Jay Moore, like is hanging (laughs) in there with Tom Cruise and those scenes that they have together. And it's crazy. And we've talked about before. Yes. Great actors can be great actors, but getting them all to work together and getting the best out of certain aspects of them. That is the hallmark of a great director. That is what we blow Scorsese about all the time and so I think that you know jumping ahead this isn't like an a plus five star movie to me but I really was taken aback upon this rewatch like I said it's been a long time since I watched it of just how well everything is pulled together it is
0: his I know you don't think it's his best but it is his biggest one right that's I know that we kind of Threw that out, I think maybe last episode or a couple episodes ago, when when we were talking about Jerry Maguire coming up, and it feels like this was as big as Crow got uh, as far as mainstream movies.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he won his Oscar for Almost Famous, but like what we were talking about earlier, he got an amazing thing out of Kate Hudson, Billy Crudup, uh, even you know Francis McDormand would have probably been one of the biggest names involved in that movie Tom Cruise was already fucking Tom Cruise in this and you know all the other players we've mentioned so far involved this was this was a big movie and even I know it means nothing to you but like the personalities from the sports world that he got uh, involved in this too and presenting them and getting dialogue delivered from them and lines from them that work in the context and, and their delivery works in the context of the story it's big is a perfect word use that word to describe it it's his biggest movie and that is hitting the nail on the head you don't get movies like this very often and and i don't mean that from cameron crowe i mean that from any director you know what i mean
0: yeah and uh and they don't you talk about the dialogue the dialogue works so well for me i i appreciate it the effort put in the way that these characters talk uh it's a throwback to an old episode where we had somewhat clashing opinions, you know, where I was I was trying to defend Diablo Cody's screenplay in Juno, and you know, my point was like, you know, she's trying.
1: That's it. that's where I do the Stanley laugh from the office. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, you know, your ego sprego and this is a sketch you can't undo, whatever they say. You know, it's like, uh, that's an extreme example. But characters speaking in a distinctive manner to where you feel like, oh, there's a voice here, right? And uh, Crow's style obviously works a lot better for me. And there's this, uh, I just love it. I love the terms of phrase. Of course, I can't think of any right now where I know what you're talking about, you know. (laughs) There were times where characters would say something where I'm like, all right, that's a little too cute, but I like it.
1: (laughs) A lot of the shit Kelly Preston says. I was about
0: to say like the breakup scene between Kelly Preston and Tom Cruise when she goes, I did the 23 hour nose route to the top of El Capitan in 18 hours and 23 minutes. I can make this work. I think that that line is great. And I think she delivers it about as well as you could deliver it. But that's not how people talk. In that in that scenario, right? Like the, the way that she's saying uh um and it's sandwiched in, in with better lines. I think that when she tells him
1: You and I are salespeople, we sell. I, look, it's I not love use... me. It's not trust my handshake. Okay. It's make the sale, get it signed. There shouldn't be confusion okay. about that.
0: Okay. I, I love it. I just I think that he was like, fuck it, I'm gonna make them sound good. It's a little bit like Sorkin, you know, that's that's why I love Sorkin. Like it's not naturalistic dialogue, but it sounds naturalistic. <laughs> It's it's a it's a fine line and you have to get the right actors. But I think that everybody does here that um I mean every all the flirtation between Jerry and, and Dorothy is just I would say 70% of it is just they're just movie lines. They're talking about like like they're speaking like movie characters, and I don't care. I think yeah. it works. You know, he, he set out to make this sort of classic romance book ended by a sports story but but at the end it's just very uh, it just felt very like like a throwback to old romantic movies We it feels like we've been saying it a lot like oh well you wouldn't make this movie today or you know this wouldn't get made I mean I think if Tom Cruise wanted to make Jerry Maguire 2 they would let him do it but in the sense that uh, this type of romance this type of love story it's I don't think that they that there's a lot of interest in it these days but there should, I mean, especially when it's as well-written as it is here. And it's not just the dialogue, but just the fact that he allows these characters to to be complex and for the relationship to not be just black and white. i It took me a couple watches to really come to terms with just how complicated it is that, you know, he cares for her, but obviously he doesn't want to marry her, but marries her anyway. And then at the end, I'm supposed to be okay with him coming back. You know, like, the arc of that relationship was really difficult for me to grasp when I was younger. You know, because to me, it was like, well, he either they're either right for each other or they're not. And if they... The way that he behaves for a good chunk of the movie, you're like, no, they shouldn't be together, you know? He marries her for the wrong reasons. And yet, somehow, it's still okay by the end. And and now I buy it, you know? It's like... (laughs) Feelings can be complicated. Adult life is really complicated, and the fact that he—not even that—he that, uh, has second thoughts about getting married it's just that he—he's not comfortable being married. Uh, you know, he rushes it, but that doesn't mean that he can't—you know—realize later on that I do love her. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and so that also cushions the dialogue <laughs> because it's these characters in very complex, compelling situations. And then they're talking in a way that's interesting. That it's that makes it even more fun to, to watch them interact. You know, it's like a completely different genre, but also like why a good Elmer Leonard adaptation works so well uh, for me. Because it's like, oh, these people they they're re- very interesting when they talk. They say things in a way that's not quite the way that I just hear people talk on everyday life, and that makes it fun. I I really like the writing. I guess that's that's my main thing. <laughs> and i like the way that like i said that he fleshes out those those characters i i don't think that i had noticed it's not that i hadn't noticed i don't think that i had appreciated rod's character as much until this time uh, at the wedding where he notices that dorothy has noticed on yeah. the video that that he's not happy that that cruz is like conflicted and he looks at her she makes a face. He makes a face. He smiles, and then he goes out of his way to try to defuse the tension. And mm-hmm. it's that character moment is amazing. Like I, you know, yeah. based on everything that we've seen Rod do up till that point, and uh, and it's not like suddenly he becomes an easier person to deal with. Instead, next time we see him, he's confronting Jerry like very harshly about the marriage. So it's it's great. Uh, and I also had noticed while we're on that wedding scene, like. I, the thing that he does on the video where he's like rubbing his forehead and whatever. I cannot believe I've seen this movie like maybe 10 times. And I can't believe that this is the first time I've noticed that he does that when the mariachis come to him during their date. Right. Like she leaves yeah. him alone because she has to go call and check on Ray. And then she sees him and he's all awkward, you know, because the mariachis are playing and he's doing that thing with his, with his hand or his rubbing his forehead. And I saw him this time and I was like, Oh shit, that's, she makes that connection when she's watching the video. Like, I always thought that she just saw the video and he looks clearly uncomfortable. So I'm like, I oh, should just, she just made the assumption that he was uncomfortable. But now it's like, oh no, she's seen him act that way, have that, that tick when he's uncomfortable. So it's good stuff. It's, it's so well written. I mean, there's no point in me even trying to be, uh, uh, suspenseful about it. I think, sorry, Alex, I think it's better than Almost Famous. <laughs> I think it's his best movie.
1: Well, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but yeah while we're there i mean the one academy award winner of the bunch uh we were very complimentary obviously of tom cruise and renee zellweger regina king is fantastic in this as well but um kuba you know he, he took it home and um you know the motherfucker's rich and he, he's lived a life of celebrity and he's had some resurgences from time to time so you know it's always an easy go-to joke that you know, he peaked with Jerry Maguire and it's been all downhill just because I think his performance was so sensational and his Oscar acceptance was so memorable that, you know, that's the end of the movie. You know, when he wins and reacts that way, that that's literally the, like the, how Tropic Thunder ends. You know, that's that's the <laughs> peak. So I can see why people think or people like myself just that, you know, oh, it was all over after that. But he's made like a thousand movies since then. and. uh because of things like "Show Me the Money," "Shoplift the Pooty," which that that's also one of those scenes that I'm just like, all right, I, I've never been able to make up my mind if that's either really cringe or really funny. It it walks that line so finely, and I more often than not side with the it's just really funny because of Tom Cruise's impeccable delivery of "I did not shoplift the pooty," <laughs>
0: followed uh, by "Okay, I did shoplift the pooty." <laughs> <laughs>
1: But what I'm trying to get at here is it is extremely easy to lose sight of how good this movie is because of its just insane impact on just daily speech for some people. And you dig deeper, uh, it's easy to lose sight of how good Tom Cruise was, Renee Zellweger was. It is most easy, unfortunately, and should not go without calling out, like, it's easy to forget how amazing Cuba Gooding Jr. is in this movie, and that's not even like recency bias or just I watch this day. I was like, man, he was really good. It's like that is you watch and you go, that isn't like an Oscar. That is the the peak of the field, and that's an Oscar winning performance right there. You know, when you see something like what he did in this movie,
0: it's easy. I think it's easy to dismiss it today. Uh, Maybe even at the time for you know anybody because it's just it's the biggest performance. Even though Cruise is going really big, but but Cruise is making the conscious decision to make Jerry Maguire kind of like a big character, whereas like Rod Tidwell is written as a big character to begin with. So I don't think that you could play him any other way. (laughs) Like Kubrick Jr. had to do that writing justice, and he does. He comes in from the moment he comes in, he's just very funny, very energetic and he keeps it up and then as we were referencing just like a minute ago, you know, he has those moments of calm when you're like okay, he's not just this this dude that won't stop talking about himself, like he has enough awareness where he knows what's going on with Jerry and he cares. You know, he cares about other people. It's just that he has his priorities and he also has enough self-awareness to be shamed when he gets called out on his bullshit. So when there's that scene when uh, uh Jerry basically explains to him why he's not a bigger star and you can see in Kirk Junior's performance that it registers. He knows that he's being told the truth and he doesn't like it. It's great. Yeah. But but of course those moments can get lost in the the bigger thing, right? Like the Show Me the Money and the Quan and the, the big Touchdown dance at the end and uh, all those things. So, yeah, I I watched it today and it was kind of like the least surprising element of the movie. It it was it was almost like he was exactly the way I remembered him. No heart. I'm all heart, motherfucker.
1: All of these performances, though, pale in comparison to the very random but fitting for a Cameron Crowe movie. The cameo by Jerry Cantrell in the beginning of this movie. Jerry Cantrell, of course, the guitarist, amazing guitar player, uh, guitarist and vocalist for Alice in Chains, provided backup and, in some cases, lead vocals for their music. He was part of the one of my favorite albums of all time. Like if I had five albums to listen to for the rest of my life, the Alice in Chains unplugged album is just. Unreal and he is a huge part of that He is in this movie for less time Than I just spent talking about him But uh, he is <laughs> He's the employee at Kinko's or wherever Tom goes to print his, oh. The guy who says that's how you become great Man hang your balls out there <laughs> <laughs> Love it And there, There's an awesome picture I found Just looking into it Of uh, Cantrell Cameron Crowe and Tom Cruise all on set Together it's you know just a, a Candid Just rehearsing that line. We can use it for the the thumbnail for the Real Talk segment. (laughs) I like it. (laughs)
0: Um, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise as Jerry Maguire. I remember reading an interview or seeing an interview with him at the time. I watched this movie when it came out. It was, I think he was already nominated when I saw it. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Well, you got to one of the best parts, Alex. You got to see. There you go. A very intense, very uncrow-like sex scene. At least from where I remember. Just
1: getting railed. Yeah,
0: I think she is railing Cruz in that scene.
1: (laughs) I mean, the positioning wouldn't work, but that for what you're implying, (laughs) but yes,
0: the intention.
1: (laughs) I mean, RIP, and it kind of did make me sad. Just no point getting into that. Just, but you know, it it kind of feels like. You never really know with that whole situation, but, uh, so I do want to pay my proper respects and then say that she is unbelievably gorgeous in this movie.
0: Yes. And the fact that she's
1: mean makes it even hotter, dude.
0: (laughs) I figure you would go for that. (laughs) Punch me, please. Punch me, Kelly Preston. Tell me I'm a loser.
1: (laughs) Oh! I won't let you hurt me, Jerry. I'm too strong for you, loser.
0: But Cruz, uh, I remember reading the, you know, it was, he was, doing, I guess he was doing the awards circuit, doing the interviews, the junket, something. But he was talking about how he was sitting in his car one time and he saw some guy walk by. And he was on the phone, and he looked kind of worried, and he just started thinking, I wonder what that guy's deal is. You know, it was just like a random person, your average person. And that kind of like set him off thinking that every person has a story and that he was interested in playing just a regular person that the movie should be about a regular person. I don't know how that ties in into him meeting up with Cameron Crowe or if that's something that he just, he was waiting for the right character to bring that energy and, and then this project happened. Or if he looked up Cameron Crowe and said, like, Hey, do you want to write a movie about a regular guy? I don't know. But the idea is that obviously Jerry Maguire is trying to sell you Tom Cruise as a regular guy or <laughs> Tom Cruise's version of a regular guy. And, uh, I made fun of it in Contrans Corner. Like, we laughed about it. We've laughed about it in Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Uh, It's just something that happens with big movie stars, right? And I think it works. He is definitely... uh, He's very Tom Cruise uh, in the way that... Like, I was thinking, watching this, I'm like, all right, you could make Jerry Maguire without him being a a, a superstar, right? Like, what if you had... uh, staying with this little group of movies like what if you had Jonah Hill play Jerry Maguire right? Not not clown Jonah Hill but the Jonah Hill from Moneyball you know like serious actor Jonah Hill and uh, he can go through the same things you know because the, the character doesn't require Jerry Maguire to look like a movie star or to even have you know he needs to be charismatic in the sense that that's part of his job his job is that he's a good talker but that doesn't mean that you know any number of actors can play fast talkers, people that are charismatic without actually having, you know, that mega Hollywood star quality. And uh, I think that that would make for an interesting movie where you remove that element of superstardom from Jerry. And he's instead really a, a regular guy. Like I think maybe even the script demanded or, or, or was asking for it at some point. And uh, I wonder how that plays you know, with the rest of the thing, there, there's so much that I love of this movie just because of how it's Tom Cruise playing him. And I just I am on the camp that, you know, actually likes, really likes Tom Cruise as an actor. And so uh, him being in the movie automatically like raises to the level because I just enjoy him doing this this thing. But what if you have like, you know, somebody else? What if it's a, a young Mark Rylance playing Jerry Maguire? <laughs> it's like. How, how does that change the, the story? Does it make it, you know, maybe it makes it more believable that he goes through these things, uh, makes it easier to connect, but also makes it maybe sadder? I don't know. You know, there's there's this thing, watching Tom Cruise go through this, where you're just reassured just by his stardom, I feel like that everything is going to be okay. <laughs> so I have, as heartbreaking as it is to see uh, Dorothy break up with him, i had never had any doubts that they were going to end up being okay. And that is something that I guess, you know, when you cast somebody that's that has that persona, maybe that that comes with the territory and you, you're using that to enhance the movie a certain way. So anyway, I guess my point is, I think that Jerry Maguire could work without Tom Cruise. It would work in a different way, but I think it would still be like a really good movie, a really interesting movie, you know, because I, I like the script. But I love that it's a movie with Tom Cruise because he what he does there is, you know, he's he, He's doing his thing with the character. He's he's he has a very specific take, and he's going for it. And I miss Tom Cruise doing that stuff. You know, now he's just Ethan Hunt and Jack Reacher, and he's great at those movies. It's I mean I've had that complaint that that. Lament about uh, Angelina Jolie, right? Like, oh, but now she's mostly and for at least for a good stretch of her career, she was just like an action star and other actors that have come up on the show and off mic too. But it's you know, at one point he just he just stopped taking on these roles that require him to flex those acting muscles, and instead it's mm-hmm. more of a, the stunts and the the action sequences and the the big box office. Uh, <laughs> releases and uh that's great i mean somebody has to do it and he definitely seems to be doing it very well it's good for the industry but i'm like i'm ready for him to do another jerry Maguire. you know just to do something else Uh, or
1: something like magnolia or just something like go for it man
0: yeah yeah he can and he i mean clearly he doesn't have to but i just don't know i mean you know what what's the is it, is it just that he's trying to fit in as many action movies as possible before he just can't do it anymore? Because, you know, at some point it's just doing those stunts is going to be prohibitive. <laughs> There's only so much he can do. Uh, so he's just trying to fit them in now and then he can go back to to trying other things, you know, doing dramas and all stuff. I can't think of the last Tom Cruise movie where I felt like, oh, he's taking a big swing. You know, what, Tropic Thunder maybe?
1: Uh, I mean, you can make that argument yeah edge tomorrow's fucking dope but that definitely falls in line with the what you've outlined
0: come back tom (laughs) you can do it
1: let me tell you something about jerry mcguire
0: okay you come after me and you will lose you know because i am a survivor i'm a survivor
1: all right well as i mentioned at the kickoff of this that's a football reference, Julio. Um, oh, <laughs>
0: that's that—that's that thing that they're playing right on the field, yes,
1: the oblong pigskin. So, coming into this, I always knew this was one of Julio's favorites, and it was a movie we talked about a lot pre-podcasting days, just in our film discussion. And I knew it was uh, one, like I said, one of his favorites in a movie that was near and dear to his heart. Coming out of this discussion, Julio, after this most recent viewing. Is it still there? And dare I say, is it even closer, more near and dear, and a movie you have more warmth about now?
0: Yes, yes, it is. I haven't, I hadn't seen it since. Uh, I'll, I'll make this quick. I won't go into all the details, but basically, <laughs> before I moved to Austin, so the year before I moved to Austin, uh, so New Year's from two thousand eight to two thousand nine, I came to Austin. To celebrate New Year's, Uh, my friend Drew, my friend Jessica and I, we just rented a room somewhere downtown and we just drove on the 31st here, pre-gamed at the hotel, then went downtown to 6th Street, partied all night. It was amazing. I remember maybe half the night (laughs) and then went back to the hotel, passed out, woke up the next morning and turned the TV on and Jerry Maguire was on. And so we're all just kind of like recovering from the New Year's party. And and we just let the movie play. And I'd seen it a number of times. Drew had seen it a number of times. I don't know how familiar Jessica was with the movie, but she definitely kind of like endured Drew and I laughing and pointing at the screen and <laughs> quoting the movie. And uh, the Kush Lash scene just set us off. I don't know what you know, we're still probably half drunk, but the, just the idea of Jerry O'Connell with the guitar singing, making up this song about his last name, it was uh it just stuck with us and it just became a running bit for the rest of the weekend. And uh we would just at random times we just go like kush slash, kushlash <laughs> <laughs> we would quote other things about the movie and we would do the the tom Cruise pointing move he does at the end i think he does it more than once in the movie but the at the very end when uh Koo is coming out and the reporters are swarming him and he's like jerry jerry where's jerry and then they they lock eyes and tom Cruise he's like teary-eyed and he points at kuhu Good jr but he's also kind of pointing at the screen like that tom Cruise point like we were doing it all the time. You know, whenever something happened, we just like pointed at each other. It was just so dumb. But it was, you know, Jerry Maguire became this thing that was just now interwoven with my uh, my friendship with Drew, my memory of that New Year's uh, celebration, which kind of in a way is one of those New Year's celebrations that I've been just chasing the rest of my life, you know, like... That's the standard. If I if I'm going partying somewhere, I want to party like we party that night. So there's a lot of like good memories going on with uh with that movie. Uh, for one of my birthdays, Drew brought me a, a hat that was, uh, I think it says Team Kushlash or maybe Tim Kush. It was Amazing. like like the one that that's in the movie. So I have reasons to love this movie beyond its its quality but i liked it before then and uh and now you know i think that's the last time i watched it so now this is you know 10 years later and uh more than 10 years later so i watched it not with fresh eyes because th- at this point that's impossible but definitely with uh enough time had passed that i was just experiencing it a, l- a lot of it just felt i was getting reacquainted with the movie and that process was very very uh rewarding like i said i was rediscovering renee zellweger's performance i've seen her win two oscars by now and i've seen her in plenty of movies but just the idea that this was just her making a splash i mean she and kubika jr made a splash with this movie and she's great you know And, and like i said as an older person now appreciating the the nuances of those relationships yeah no this is uh great movie it's going into the, the pantheon of uh, great movies that i love that i will push on people i uh, i'm giving it the full monty it's it's five stars you're showing it the money <laughs> i'm showing it the money and you know what alex if you want this jacket you can have it cuz i'm cloaked in <laughs> failure <laughs>
1: uh i gave it four stars on my letterbox review um i i give this an a- it's for me personally, like I said, a lot of the scenes linger on a bit too long and some of the dialogue is a bit saccharine for me, but that's that's fine because that's what it wants to be and it excels and thrives in being Jerry Maguire, which is when Penn went to paper and what Cameron Crowe wanted to make, he made. It's a fantastic film. And like I said, the only things negatives I can say about it are like little things that, like, you know, personally don't work for me as well as for others like yourself. But I mean, Jerry Maguire's, it's fucking phenomenal. If you've never seen it before, unfortunately, I, I think you may be too long in the path of like cliches to appreciate it. For, and I don't mean to tell you what you do and how you think. I'm not going <laughs> to tell anyone what to do or how to think, but I'm just saying that there's a lot going into it now versus like, you know, seeing it in the late nineties, early two thousands, but great shit. Great, great, great film. Um, we're on a roll. This and the Flintstones, man, we had yeah, two good movies back to back. <laughs> we, uh, I think these two have erased the torturous nature of, uh, a good day to die hard. So, uh, Julio, with that being said, will the street continue? What is next?
0: Well, this is uncharted territory, Alex, at least for me. I don't know. But uh, patron Jamie Russell referenced already once during the segment. Uh, he wants us to talk about Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is rotten. So we're going to be nice about it.
1: But I I don't know the much docu- about it. Uh, the mockumentary? Is it a mockumentary? I don't know. Are we talking about the one with Kirsten Dunst and Kirstie Alley?
0: And uh, Denise Richards.
1: Oh, dude, yeah, that movie fucking rules. This is news to me. You hadn't told me this is on the horizon. that, that it's on the spreadsheet. Is- oh, shit, I didn't consult the spreadsheet. I always look at, like, our uh, patron shit, like, what's coming up. Um, hold on, let me yeah. check this to confirm. It's it's on the spreadsheet, folks. So that, <laughs> that's my fault for not double-checking. Oh, I am fired up, man. Drop dead gorgeous rules.
0: Okay, well, there you go. That. Alex already knows what he's in for. I don't. I can like I say I barely know the cast and only because I had to pull a picture of the poster for our website. So uh, I don't know anything. I didn't know it was a mockumentary. That's cool. We haven't. I don't know if we've done a mockumentary on the show yet. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Peter's gay. Gay. I'm sorry. That's like my favorite part from that movie. And that's I dated a girl <laughs> that we used to quote that all the time. So you, you will know what I'm quoting when the time comes.
0: All right. Well, that's it. Drop it. Gorgeous coming up next. <laughs> uh, and this, by the way, this is the end of our, our live stream debt. We, we're done with it. Can't wait to acquire a new one next year.
1: So yet another thank you to everyone who made this possible with your donations and uh, support on live stream for the cure. And just to reiterate the words of my co-host a moment ago, can't wait to acquire more debt next year.
0: What? Let's not get ahead of ourselves first. We have to get through Drop Dead Gorgeous. <laughs> what is going to happen if I hate this movie, given Alex's enthusiastic response to even hearing the title? Uh, I don't know. It should be interesting. I, I'll go in open-minded. I like Kirsten Dunst. She was in Elizabeth Town.
1: I think you're not aware of what you're in for. I th- If I had to guess, just based on your inflection and tone of this... I don't think you really know what you're in for, and i I think you're gonna be pleasantly surprised.
0: It's great. Good stuff, Jamie. Brace yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: but that's it. Let's get out of here, Alex.
1: Let's do. Show me the outro. Welcome to our end credits, or as we usually call them, our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the Festive Years, who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend
0: and fellow podcaster Hans Ruth Gieser is the man behind our logo and all the art you see related to our show. Reach out to him and let him know how much you like that little tomato. His email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com and his website is mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also check out his podcast, Nacion Combi, about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support.
1: For those interested in the regularly absurd world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over at LateNightGrin.com have you covered. Tell them the Contrarians sent you.
0: And we like to close with special thanks to our social media team of Zoe Perez and Coriari. Each of the social media accounts we mentioned in the introduction look as good as they
1: do because of their work. So that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time.